Amen. Lord, where would we be if it weren't for you? I'd hate to think of it. When I look back, think where I've been and where I am now, I can say with that song, you have been so, so good to me. And we thank you, Lord. You are good. The scriptures are full of it. It says you are a good God, Lord, and we believe it. You're so good, Lord, that you loved us so much that you sent your son even while we were yet sinners. He loved us so much that he died for us in our place, even while we were God-haters. And even today, Lord, men are God-haters. But you have been so, so good to them because you sent your only begotten Son. People celebrated every Christmas the coming of your Son, Jesus. They celebrate his resurrection every Easter. And they don't realize that you've been so, so good to them. They forget. They don't remember. But we remember. We remember every time we take a drink from a cup of your precious blood that was shed for us. We remember every time we take a bite from some bread, the very wounds on your back that bring healing to us. But we remember, and with the Holy Spirit's help and his presence in our life, we will never forget the good and great and mighty and awesome God that you are. Thank you, Lord, for loving us so much. I wish the world could know you. I wish I could repent for the whole world, but I can't. I have a hard time repenting for myself to turn around and go the other direction when your Holy Spirit speaks. But Lord, we need your help down here. Revival's already here. It's us that need to be revived one by one until the whole earth is filled with your glory, until your will is done on this earth just like your son taught us how to pray, that your will be done on earth, this earth, as it is in your heaven. That means peace. Lord, you've been so, so good to us. Thank you, thank you, thank you. As we study your word now, Lord, show us great and mighty things that we do not know or don't understand, that we could always remember our glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. You be the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless the church. You may be seated for everyone out there. Get your Bibles open. Genesis chapter 16. We've been studying in Genesis so far. This is the 16th week. There's 50 chapters, so we got a ways to go. What's that, about 44 chapters left? So, um, and uh, I think we're going to stay in the book because the Holy Spirit has been present as we've been teaching. Uh, you know, as I've been teaching through uh, the book here. Um, I just want to review a little bit on chapter 15 so we can remember, you know, because a lot of people have a hard time remembering what we did preach on last week. And that's not that's not your fault. It's a common fault. Even I forget sometimes what I taught the week before. But anyway, Genesis chapter 15, God gave a promise to Abram. Okay, not Abraham yet, Abram, okay? The promises were the three specific ones in chapter 15 where he's going to have a physical heir, he's going to have an inheritance in a land called Canaan, and his descendants were going to be delivered after 400 years in slavery. So we see that we know from this end that that's happened. The physical heir is... Ishmael, and we today are physical heirs of Abraham by faith. We also see that, that um, you know, the land of Canaan, the inheritance of the land of Canaan belongs to Israel. We noticed that, I believe it was chapter 15 or, or it might have been chapter 14, that God said from the great river in Egypt to the Euphrates is all of your land. That's a lot bigger place than where Israel is today. 
It's from the Nile River all the way up to the Euphrates up in Iraq. Or is it Turkey? Turkey and Iraq. That's a long piece of land, but Israel does not fulfill, fulfill all that right yet, and it will someday. We saw a war. We saw that Abraham, you know, became a, a warrior. He defeated five kings, or four kings that defeated five kings. He rescued Lot. He ran into a man named Melchizedek with no beginning, no end, no genealogy. And this man gave bread and wine to Abraham, and Abraham gave one-tenth of his spoil to Melchizedek. We find out that he is a higher order of priesthood in Hebrews chapter 7 than, than the Levites. Jesus couldn't be a priest unless he was a Levite. Or was he of a higher rank? He was from the order of Melchizedek because he is Melchizedek. Because he had no beginning and no end, no father, no mother, no genealogy. It's a clear picture that that is a Christophany, a f I, a, an appearance of Jesus Christ before his incarnation into a man. We saw Abraham's refusal to take booty from the king of Sodom because he wanted God to get all the glory. He didn't want Sodom to get all the glory. And while I made, we, the king of Sodom made Abraham rich. He wanted you to know that God made, he wanted mankind to know that God made Abraham rich. We see that Abraham had faith to leave his homeland. He had a fault because he went to Egypt and he lied and sinned. He was, he was fearless. And he had favor in the sight of the Lord. So we have faith and fault and fearlessness and favor that we see in our, our, for our great father Abraham. Abraham even doubted God's problem. How are we, I promise, how, I don't, I'm childless. How can I have an heir? The heir to my, my fortune is Eliezer of Damascus. And the Lord told him, he will not be your heir. He had no offspring. He was 85 at this time. Sarah was 80 or 75. They had no offspring. She would have been barren. But you know what to remember? There are scriptures that read, the Lord gives the fruit of the womb. One of the greatest statements we see in verse 6 of chapter 15 and Abraham believed in the Lord, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And the same today. Anyone who believes in the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord here is Elohim, who sent his Son, the plural God, the God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And if you've been in my teachings long, you notice that I gave you a picture of the Trinity in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, Genesis chapter 2, Chapters chapter 1, verse 2, and Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. In the beginning, God, Elohim, the plural for the name El, which is God. Elohim is plural. That tells you right there that God is a triune or at least a multi-triune being. We see in verse 2 that the Holy Spirit hoovered over the, the waters. We see the Holy Spirit. Verse 1, we see God the Father. In verse 2, we see the Holy Spirit. And then God said, let there be right or light, verse 3. And we see, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Who's the Word? Jesus. So now we see Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right in the first three verses of the Bible. And try to blow that away. You can't do it, even if you study the Hebrew. And for you who believe in God, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, it will be accounted to you for righteousness. One of the most powerful verses in the Bible. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and it will be accounted to you as righteousness. That means that you can enter the kingdom of heaven because you have been made righteous by the righteous robe and the shedded blood of our Savior Jesus Christ. One of the most powerful verses in the Bible. Don't you ever forget it. Say it with me. Genesis 15, 6. Genesis 15, 6. And Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. 
Then God made a covenant. Abraham's there like, how can this be? And God says, you know, I'm going to make a covenant with you. He told him to cut a bunch of this stuff apart, a heifer, a goat, a ram, turtle doves, pigeons, and separate them. And uh, I'm going to make a covenant, and it's a covenant that's going to be with you. And you don't even need to sign this covenant, Abraham. I'm going to sign it. And he had a dream where he was fearful. And God made a covenant. In other words, Numbers 23, uh, 23, anyway, let me, 2310, I believe it is. God is not a man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should repent. He has spoken and he will do it. So that's what God's telling Abraham. I spoke. I'm going to make a covenant with you. You don't even need to sign the covenant. My word is as good as I am, and it will happen. And of course, we do know that Abraham had a son later on. And we do know that he had two sons because Abraham tried to work it out in the flesh along with Sarah. They jumped in the flesh for a while. And Sarah gave Hagar to, to Abraham to have a son in her place, which was a work of the flesh. We know that God said, Take your son, your only son, to a mountain, which I say, and you will slay him there, Genesis chapter 22. Why did God say only son when Ishmael was 13 or 14 years older than Isaac when he was born? Because God does not recognize the work of your flesh. Thanks be to God <laughs> that he sees your spirit, man. Thanks be to God. Wow. Powerful. Powerful chapter. And there's pictures of of. Uh, God painted a beautiful picture in that chapter. A beautiful picture is being painted. Now we move to chapter 16. We're going to see where Abraham kind of messed up. Well, he did mess up. Chapter 15 focuses on God's promises. Chapter 16 here focuses on man's failure, his sin. It's approximately eight years later now, eight to 15 years later. Abraham's sin is affecting the world even to this day because he sinned. He went into Hagar because Sarah gave him to him. And that today is the conflict between Israel and Arabs because they were conflicted from that day on. We're going to see why as we move through this, this chapter. The war still goes on to this day. I showed you on Sunday that we're involved in the war of all ages is still raging in the world today, the battle for men's souls. But there's also a war going on on earth. It's a battle between Israel and the Arabs, and it still goes on because Abraham and Sarah jumped into the flesh and, pro and created a, a son called Ishmael from jumping into their stinking flesh you know why you get buried in water baptism so that you don't stink because you got to bury that dead man verse 1 Sarah was 75 years old and she had no children yet considers a great that's considered a great curse in Israel to be barren as a woman a woman's honor in these times was the honor or the ability to reproduce. And here Sarah could not reproduce. Abraham loved Sarah, but she could not get pregnant. She had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. How did she get this maidservant? When Abraham went to Egypt because he heard there was a famine. And he went to Egypt from the promised land. God did not tell him to go to Egypt. He went to Egypt on his own. If he would have listened to God, he would have stayed in the promised land. And Hagar would not be part of this family. It was Abraham's disobedience that led him to Egypt. And there, Sarah acquired a maidservant called Hagar. I'm sure she was a beautiful young Egyptian woman. But she was a byproduct of Egypt. You want to go back to Egypt where you used to be before you got saved? Egypt represents your old nature. Man's common error is 
we mistake God's timing. You heard that God's never late, never early. He's just always on time. You want to be, you know, God says he's going to show up, but he don't show up until, so he's going to show up at midnight, and he don't show up until 30 seconds before the clock strikes midnight. That's God, because he's, you know what? He wants to make sure that you believe what he said. If he said it, he's going to do it. That's all there is to it. The word of God is full of it. He's not a man that he should lie. He spoke. It will be done. Sarah said to go into, Sarah said that he could go into his maid, which means sexual intercourse. And basically, Sarah would be a surrogate mother to this baby. The baby would be born on her lap or impregnated while on her lap. That kind of throws you the wrong way, you know what I mean? I can read you something I pulled off um, today. Not today, but the other day when I was studying. According to some of the customs of the day, Hagar would actually sit on the lap of Sarah as Abraham inseminated her to show that the child would legally belong to Sarah, as Hagar was merely a substitute for Sarah. We understand from this form, this, this from similar occasions of using a servant as a surrogate mother in the case of Rachel giving Bilhah to Jacob when Rachel was barren in the context of Genesis 30. We'll get to that chapter. So she said, here is my maid Bilhah. Go into her and she will bear a child on my knees that I also may have children by her. A phrase, bear a child on my knees, refers to an ancient practice of surrogate adoption. Some believe that the phrase refers only to symbolic placement of the child on the knees of the one who adopts it. Others believe that it refers to a surrogate sitting on the lap of the adoptive mother during both insemination and birth. For example, referring to Genesis 33, the 20th century Bible commentary says, these words are probably intended literally and not merely a figurative adoption. We should not regard the idea that Hagar was inseminated and gave birth on her knees of Sarah as a certainty. We don't know about enough about this ancient practice, and even if it were the, uh, the ancient custom, it does not mean that it was followed through in every case, but it certainly is reasonable possibility. Whew. I'll tell you what, I'd hate to think of my wife with another man. <laughs> you know, oh, and here, here you see it in the scripture. You know, well, the Bible does not glorify polygamy at all. It does not. And every time, almost every time that it's involved, there's there's a problem. It's associated with something wrong. Sarah' understanding was based on doubt in God's promise. She doubted God that she was 75 years old and she could get pregnant. I'm going to tell you what. I don't care if a woman has her uterus taken out by the doctor. If God wants you to have a child, you will have a child. He'll put another womb in there. He's replaced hearts. David said, give me a clean heart, O God. That word is bara, which means give me a clean, a new heart. Uh, bara means from nothing. God gave David a new heart. Not the heart that he had, a new heart. And God can do it. You know what? If these things are over your head, you need to get into the Word of God and believe all things are possible with God. All things, not some things, all things. I'm trying as a pastor is to boost our faith. That's my job, to boost my faith in the Lord. Sarah is suggesting that she's going to help God out. Oh, she just created a big problem. Today, even the war goes on. Those people that flew those planes into the Twin Towers, still part of this war that's going on. Jacob helped God out. And he ended up 20 years in exile at brother, Uncle Laban's house. Never saw his mother, who he loved again, ever. She was dead by the time he returned to the land. 
Moses spent 40 years in the desert because he was going to help deliver Israel from Egypt by killing the Egyptian. Listen, when we mess up, when we jump in the flesh and do things that, that we, we know are wrong, if God told you to do something, do it. If he told you to go to Timbuktu and be a missionary, go to Timbuktu and be a missionary. You might go to Timbuktu and he might say, I want you to go over to Africa over here. But you're going to go. You're going to follow his command. We need to do it. The Lord knows what he's doing. He is painting the picture. Picture a scroll. I try to tell everybody. I'm an artist by trade, uh, a professional sign painter. I've won national awards for sign painting in the city of Pittsburgh. I've been featured in different magazines, sign magazines about signs. And I know when I painted a picture, people would say, oh, that looks terrible. I tell them to go away and come back when I'm done. I told that to the number two man in McDonald's one day. What's his name? Jim Delegetti's main man. He said, I was painting a Ronald McDonald caboose for like children's hospital. Had a pink, pla- it was red, a real, in- real caboose to a train. It was red and it was corrugated. And I had to paint a picture of Ronald McDonald on a yellow plaque on that thing. And he came in the first day while I'm doing it. And he said, get out of here. You're fired. And I said, listen, you go away and come back when I'm done. He came back when I'm done. And he said, they used me for years and years until I moved to Florida. God's painting this picture. Picture a scroll that he's rolling out from Adam and Eve all the way up to the end of Revelation into the kingdom of heaven. And he's painting a picture. And he lays in the back crawlers. And it looks like junk until he's done. And he's painting it all around, all throughout creation. And if you know anything about painters, if he's painting a picture, he lays in the background first. And the background may be sunny or it may be stormy. He's, he's painting this picture. And we need to understand that God's painting the picture. Sarah and Abraham jumped out of it into the flesh and tried to help God out. You can't help God paint a picture. As a matter of fact, even a professional uh, famous artist today, if you took one of of, uh, Mozart's paintings and tried to reproduce it or touch it up, you're going to destroy the value of it, not not make it more valuable. We just got to let God do his work. And Abraham and Sarah, we're not going to allow him to do that. It probably appealed to Abraham's flesh to go into another woman. After all, men have proved that over the ages, haven't they? The Bible never glorifies polygamy. We're supposed to trust in the Lord with all our heart. Lean not on our own understandings. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct Abraham and Sarah's and your path. Abraham heeded the voice of Sarah instead of who? God. You know what? Adam had the same problem. He heeded the voice of Eve instead of God's. We're stuck in this situation because of it, where we're at today. All because of Adam and Eve We have to die. Not only that, animals have to die. God slayed an animal, most likely a lamb, to make loincloths for Adam and Eve. Animals have to die because man sinned. And you know what else? Jesus had to die. We really messed this up, didn't we? And I'm as guilty as anybody. Because James tells us if you sin in one point of the law, you're guilty of it all. Abraham heeded the voice of Sarah like Adam. Something that breaks my heart. I got a little puppy at home that's just, she's 16 years old and she's, not in a good place. And I think, you know, this poor little animal, it's a cute little baby girl that never gave us any trouble. I call her misobedience, a little chihuahua. And she's struggling right now for life. And so I say, you know, I don't know. I go outside and say, Lord, it's all my fault. I sinned against you. 
This poor little creature has to die. I sinned against you, Lord, and Jesus Christ, the son of your son, had to come to earth and die. It breaks your heart when you think of it. After waiting on God for 10 years, Abraham attempts to help God out. Anytime man tries to help God out, it is disastrous. We step out in the flesh, you're going to hurt or get hurt. Three things happen to Hagar. She has sex with Abraham at 85 years old. That's a work of the flesh. Now, did it only, was it only one time? Or did it happen every day? Or did every week or every month? Or did they have the insemination part time packed? It's a work of the flesh. Another thing that happened to Hagar is she becomes pregnant, and it's the fruit of the flesh, not the fruit of the Spirit. Ishmael is the work of the flesh. He points to the flesh in the Scripture. Number three, Hagar flaunts her fertility in front of Sarah. In other words, Hagar gets pregnant, and she's going, see, I'm better than you. I'm better than you, like little kids. And Sarah was upset. And it adds to Sarah's shame. Because women that couldn't get pregnant were looked down upon in these days. So there's a blame-shifting game going on, just like Adam and Eve. Adam said, well, the woman told me. And the Eve said, well, the serpent told me. A blame, ship blame game going on. Sarah's idea was made literal in the flesh. And our flesh always tries to blame something else. So I'll tell you what. You want to become a believer in Jesus Christ? You have to first realize that you are a sinner and you must repent. You must repent. This is a work of the flesh. Sarah should have seen this coming. Well, she was so hurt, so disgusted, so dishonored that she wanted to take another woman and give her to her husband and inseminate her. It was like, you know, you realize how low she sank to do that? Thank God, I heard it down here many times, thank God he doesn't look at the acts of our flesh because I would have been snuffed out many years ago. Abraham wasn't supposed to go to Egypt. He went anyhow. He wasn't supposed to lie to Pharaoh, but he lied anyhow. And as we go through the scripture, you're going to see ancestral sin because Isaac does the same thing his daddy did. And by the way, Isaac wasn't born when this happened. That means it was inherited. The sins of the forefathers are passed on to the third and the fourth generation. That's right in the Ten Commandments, Deuteronomy 5 and Exodus chapter 20. The sins of the forefathers are passed on. That means, like my mother used to say, the apple don't fall from, from the tree. Flesh leads to a lack of love and compassion. Verse 6, Abraham gives Sarah consent to deal harshly with Hagar. Sarah's making it rough for Hagar to the point where Hagar flees. She flees. I mean, Sarah's making it really bad because, well, first of all, Hagar's, you know, te teasing her. I can get pregnant and you can't. Ha, ha, ha. It's one of those childish games we play in the flesh. But Sarah gets so upset, she she she's, um, makes Hagar so miserable that she flees. And Abraham does not pursue it. 
That tells me that he knows he messed up. He knows he messed up. Verse 7, Now the angel of the Lord found her by the spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to shore. This is the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord. Most people feel that this is another Christophany, especially when it begins with a capital A. Most feel it's a Christophany, another pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. Two chapters, we see two uh, uh, pre-incarnate appearances of Jesus Christ. Number one, he is the priest Melchizedek, the higher order of priesthood than the Levites. And also now we see that he's the angel of the Lord. We see the angel of the Lord many times in Scripture. Sometimes it's the Lord Jesus Christ, and sometimes it's an angel of the Lord. But Hagar sees it, and it, it's written here in the Scriptures with a capitalized A, which kind of points to, and as we study this and, and what Hagar says, you can find out that it is the Lord. It's not just an angel of the Lord. It is the angel of the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, pre-incarnate. Hagar says she has seen the Lord in verse 13. Let's read that on verse 13. I'm, this is the new King James Version. 16, I'm going to start at the, uh, at the 11th verse. No, the 10th. Then the angel of the Lord, capital A, of the Lord, all capital letters, that means Elohim, the triune God, said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for, for, for their multitude. And the angel, capital A again, of the Lord, capital all letters on Lord means uh, Elohim, the triune God. Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord, Elohim, has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hands shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of his brethren. Then she called the name of the Lord, Elohim, who spoke to her, You are the God who sees. For she said, Have I also here seen him who sees me? Therefore the well was called Ber Lahro. Hi. Observe it. Observe it is between Kadesh and Berad. So Hagar bore Abraham's son, and Abraham named the son whom Hagar born Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. So here it is. She understands and she realizes that she has just seen the Lord. She says that she's out in the desert at a well. She ran away. She flew, flew, fled from Sarah and Abraham. She's pregnant. She goes, they're going to die in the desert, and the Lord shows her a well. And she understands that the Lord sees her. I don't, I, let me put this to you today. I don't care what your circumstances are, where you are in, in life, God sees it. God is there. That's another word. God is there. He is there. I had a fellow call me yesterday, and he was, he was oh, so upset about his life and how it went up and down, up and down. And I'll tell you what, God sees it. God knows exactly what's going on. I tried to encourage him. I told him, I said, within three years, I lost my mother, my father, my business, my four-bedroom house with a pool in Boca. I, I lost my business. I was in debt to the IRS and the state of Florida for almost $200,000. You think you had it bad? So did I. There's not a man on this earth that isn't going through something like you went through, and they survived. I take heart. Get on your knees. Pray, because the Lord sees it. Even though you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, you shall fear no evil because God is with you. I tried to encourage him. I don't know that I did such a good job. But what I was saying, within two years, 
I was out of debt to the IRS and the state of Pennsylvania for almost $200,000. And I never paid a dime to the state of Pennsylvania. Listen, God saw me in that situation, and he delivered me. And he can deliver you. You don't think he can? Turn to the book of Job and read those chapters. You don't think he can deliver you? Turn to, to Daniel chapter 2 and 3 and learn about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you don't believe that, turn to Jonah and see about the whale that swallowed him and spit him out on dry land. Well, vomit him out on dry land. If you don't believe that, then look at the creation. God is there, believe me, and he will. Right now, you know that faith that isn't tested cannot be trusted. So if, if, if my, love, my beloved brother out there is listening, you, that's what I'm going to tell you. Faith that isn't tested can't be trusted, and maybe right now God's allowing this to be a test for you to see if you'll still stand. So stay standing. After all you could do to stand, stand fast, therefore. Ephesians chapter 6. That goes for all of us. Anybody else out there over the internet also. This term, the Lord or Yahweh, never appears after the incarnation of Jesus Christ in the Bible. Never again. Jesus said, No one has seen God the Father at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father has declared Him. Do you know? I'm going to tell you how. People say, well, if you saw Jesus, you wouldn't die. People saw Jesus, God in the flesh, and didn't die. You know that, right? But if you see God the Father in all His glory, you're history, man. I'm going to tell you right now. Well, do you know Jesus is a reflection of the Father? He told Philip in chapter 14 of John, he says, you, you know, Philip says, show me the Father. And Jesus said, he said, Philip, have I been so long with you, you don't recognize me? So here he was looking at the Savior of the world, the Son of God, and Jesus is telling him, you're looking at God. You were looking at a reflection of God, of who God is, because Hebrews 1.3 says, he's the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his nature, and he upholds all things by the word of his power. You're looking at a reflection of God if you see Jesus. That's why people can see Jesus and live. Let me tell you something. Do you know that you've never seen your face? You've never seen your face. What you saw was a reflection of your face. Isn't it? When you see Jesus, you're seeing a reflection of God. Read Hebrews 1.3. He's the radiance of God's glory. The exact representation of His nature. And He upholds all things by the word of His power. You'll never see your face. I don't think we'll ever see our face. I don't know. Is our beards in heaven? But even if it is, it's a reflection. I don't know. Maybe we'll have four eyes like the cherub, cherubim and they can look at your face. I don't know. I'm just saying, listen, you've only saw a reflection. Jesus Christ is a reflection of God the Father. She saw it. She saw God, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ in the Scriptures. Joshua saw him as the captain of the hosts of the army of the Lord. Joshua chapter 5, verse 14, I believe it is. Listen, many people have seen the Lord Jesus Christ in the Scriptures. Jacob wrestled with God. Who do you think he was wrestling with? Elohim? No, she was wrestling with Jesus. 
There's other appearances of the angel of the Lord in Abraham, chapter 22. We're going to see that as we move on. Genesis 31 to Jacob when he wrestled with the Lord. I just said it. Exodus chapter 3, Moses at the burning bush. Balaam saw him in Numbers 22. Judges chapter 6, Gideon sees him. Judges 13, Samson. You know, to, um, And one appears to announce Samson's birth. Uh, Zechariah chapter 3 to Joshua the high priest. Actually, Satan and the Son of God is there. Listen, those, the Old Testament is full of beautiful pictures of Jesus. Beautiful pictures of Jesus. And we've got to take the Scriptures sometimes literally. We've got to take them sometimes spiritually. So, how am I going to say this? If the literal sense makes good sense, you can seek no other sense because you'll come up with nonsense. Now, if this passage is scriptural or spiritual, like John chapter 2, where Jesus says, you destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. That's a spiritual chapter. Those are spiritual verses. Now, if the spiritual sense makes good sense, don't seek a literal sense like the Jews did because they'll never understand that he's going to rise in three days. Because you'll be, taught, you'll be coming up with nonsense again. You've got to be very careful when you read the Scriptures. If the spiritual sense makes good sense, don't seek a literal sense because it's nonsense. The Lord is always looking for the lost and the hurting. And here's Hagar. She's lost. She's hurting. She's pregnant. She's in the desert. She's going to die unless she gets some water for her and her son. God's always looking for you. My brother who called me yesterday, you were hurting. God knows you're hurting, and he's there for you. He's always looking for the lost and the hurting. Always. On the way to Shur, we see that's Hagar is going back home. By her going to that on the way to Shur, means she's headed back to Egypt. She's going to go back and get her old life. And here she is. Uh, a, well, who is she? She's a, a servant of Sarah, who's a servant of God, who's a, a, a spouse to her, the greatest patriarch that ever lived, Abraham. And she's headed back to Egypt. She's longing for the leeks and the onions of Egypt instead of dryness in the desert and being treated. But she opened that up herself. You can read John cha or Luke chapter 15. You find out that Jesus is looking for the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. God's always looking for the lost. That's our job as Christians. I'll be touching on that Sunday. Our job is to make disciples, to get basic training for, for discipleship, to use our gifts and the uh, weapons of our warfare to win. There's a world, you know, the, a real army soldier, like the, the, so, an army man in the United States Army, he goes out to war to kill people. The Christian soldier goes out to get the dead and bring them to life. That's what a Christian soldier does. We don't fight with weapons of warfare like our swords and spears. We fight with the Word of God. And the Word of God brings life to people who believe. It's a difference, a big difference. So when you see somebody that's a soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's not out to kill your flesh. He's out to win your spirit and bring you to life. Luke 19, the Son of Man Luke 19.10, one of the first verses I memorized, the Son of Man did not come uh, to seek, and he did not come, uh, now I got it all messed up. <laughs> Son of Man did not come to, to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. That's not it. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. I do get these verses mixed up once in a while. The Son of Man, he came to seek and to save 
those that are lost. He came to seek and to save Hagar. He came to seek and to save the lost sheep. He came to seek and to save the lost coin. He came to seek and to save the lost son, the prodigal son. The angel of the Lord asks her, he says to Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? Where she comes from, where is she going? God calls her Sarah's maid. So he already knows where she's supposed to be. She's the maid of Sarah. He gives her two commands. Return to Sarah and listen, submit to her. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. But you have to first submit to God. Sarah, or Hagar here, is told to submit to Sarah. In other words, no more of this petty stuff of teasing Sarah because you were pregnant and she isn't. Actually, as I said, Abraham's 86 years old. Sarah did not have another child until, um, until like 14 years later. Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90. Ishmael was, was uh, about 13 or 14 years old. God promises to multiply Hagar's descendants. We just read it. The Lord expounds on this prophecy. There are six aspects to Hagar's child. Number one, he would bear, she would bear a son, and that was fulfilled in verse 15. She would call him Ishmael, which means God hears. Ishmael means God hears. Because the Lord heard her cry out in the desert, and he hears your cry, whatever situation you're in. He will be a wild man. He's fierce. He will be against everybody, and everybody will be against him. This is the tribes of the Arabs. And now we're going to have feud from Ishmael and Isaac's line, the Jews to the Arabs. And that war still goes on today. Arabs, they are sons of Abraham, but they are not the promised sons of Abraham. The promise of the flesh, of the spirit, man. He will be against every man. That means he's going to be independent. He will have every man hand against him. He's going to make many enemies, many enemies, as we well know and see that today. He will dwell in his brethren's presence. Israel exists, and they dwell in his presence, the rest of the, the land of Canaan. Ishmael is the father of all Arab people, and Abraham is the father of all Jewish people. Abraham, in general, is fierce, independent, having many enemies, and he dwells within his brethren in the promised land. And we see sibling rivalry even to this day. Um, El Rohi, Abraham's had this, this attribute of the Christophany, the angel of the Lord stands out to him. She's saying, you know, he's omnipresent. The God who sees, he's there. He's always there. He's always present. Omnipresence, that's where we get that word, omnipresent. Hagar speaks of God's gracious intervention. He, she calls the place Bear Hilai Rohai, the well of the one who sees me. She was dying of thirst. And here she sees a well. The Lord pointed it out to her. And she goes and calls the place the well of he who sees me. Ishmael was born to Hagar. And Abram, a byproduct of the flesh, he is not the son of the promise. We know that Abraham's uh, son Isaac is. Abraham's settling for less than what God promised him. Abraham's 86 when Ishmael was born. Another 14 years until he has the son of promise. So he had those, another 14 years of waiting this thing out. What if he relied on the Father's promise? There wouldn't be maybe any wars in, Egypt, in Israel today. Who knows? If only Abraham relied on God's promise. And because he didn't, it's nothing but heartache and heartbreak. Here's seven tests Abraham had to go through. 
and I'll end it here. Number one, he called them out of orgy, out of out of uh, error. He kind of passed, but he hesitated a little bit. He he hung, got himself hung up in Haran for a while until his dad passed away. So it was partial obedience. So whether did he pass or did he fail? I guess you could say he passed because he did end up in in Egypt. I mean in in Canaan. He delayed the family because of that partial obedience. He got to Canaan. Then he left as soon as he got there because of a famine. He ended up in Egypt. He lied about Sarah being his his wife and said he was her half-sister, which he, she really was. We went through that. Acquired riches there, which made him a stumbling block. And he acquired Hagar there, another stumbling block. So another test, Abraham, was famine. He failed to trust God in Canaan, and he went to Egypt. He wasn't told to go to Egypt. He got riches in Egypt. He somehow became a warrior because he got the power of war, and he defeated four kings that defeated five kings. But he delayed the promised seed, the son. He kind of failed that because, you know, he, he took Hagar at the suggestion of his wife. Sodom and Gomorrah is going to be a test to come for Abraham. And the offering up of Isaac in chapter 22 is going to be another test. And we're going to see when it all comes to the end of things, Abraham is a great patriarch of, of God's promise. And again, we go back to Genesis 15:6. You know that Abraham believed God and it was accounted him for righteousness. And that blur supplies in the New Testament in many places, Romans, Habakkuk, many places. If you believe in Jesus, the Son of God, it will be accounted to you as righteousness, and you will enter the kingdom of heaven. You can read Isaiah chapter 6 and part B that says that he's going to put on his robe of righteousness on you. And you'll be made righteous because of him and not for no other reason. So that's the end of our teaching in chapter 16. We're going to move on to chapter 17 next week. And uh, I pray you get something out of this tonight. And to God be the glory. I love you all and good night. Amen.